ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, TerraMaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. TPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV damper with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. everybody, it's Leonard Duncan here with ATV Talk, and we are having a special episode. We are here at ATC Addiction. This place is amazing. It's not open to the public, but you are going to get a history lesson if you look at some of the videos and see some of the product. It, it, it's just incredible. Dave Wiley, uh, thank you so much for hosting us today. This this place is beyond a dream for me. I am in heaven. Uh, I could stay here and look at this stuff forever and ever. I wish I would have brought my dad uh, because just some of the parts and some of the product that you don't see anymore. This is incredible stuff. Cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. appreciate you guys being here. Oh, no problem. Uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm Dave Wiley. I'm the owner of ATC Addiction. I've uh, been doing ATC related things since like 1983. I mean, just racing, collecting, um, lately making products, um, just doing a little bit of anything I can to keep the industry going, help out, um, uh, develop products that we had back in the day that are gone. And I'm trying to bring them back and just, just keep the whole ATC and ATV thing going. Well, it, it, you're doing an amazing job, and some of the things that you have for collectible collectible items, you know, you got a Mike Cobanchi in there, you got a Doug Roll three wheeler in there, Steve Mendenhall's three wheeler. This is incredible stuff. Some of the just the trinkets, like the kids rides that you have, the Yamaha motorcycle springboard deal that yep. you could buy, or the spring ride, and then you have a. Well, I don't even know what they call that. It's ATC a 70? ATC 70 kitty ride. So it would have been like out in front of your drugstore or Walmart back in the day. And they had a lot of uh, tri-zingers. For whatever reason, the tri-zingers didn't sell. And so I don't know if somebody did a group buy with Yamaha or something, but they made a bunch of those kitty rides out of the tri-zingers. Well, that was the first 70 Honda I ever saw. So I bought it, of course. Uh, I know of one other one in the world. That's that's it as far as the Hondas go. That's so incredible. We also have uh, David Ham with he's a professional ATC rider. Hi, my name is David Ham, and I uh, I just 
off-road enthusiast who has a soft spot in the heart for freewheelers been riding them since i was a little kid and um recently just got into racing and just having a blast and uh good friends with everybody sitting here especially david wiley and it's awesome every time i get to come over here and look at all of his amazing collection and everything that he has it's uh it's it's quite impressive to say the least well we got to meet we got to meet dave uh at the works races and, you know, for a, a year or so, I would see him in the distance and he's not a small man. So when you first see him, he's, he's very big. And when you get to know him, he smiles all the time. But when you don't know him, he doesn't smile unless he looks like, like he's, like he's going to rip your head off. But no, he's, he's an amazing, nice man. Uh, if you get a chance and you're at a works race or you see him anywhere at any of the other events that he goes to, come and talk to him because he's got some really good information about ATCs and about racing, where the industry's going. He does have his fingers on a lot of this stuff because he's talking to us all the time. Uh, I really enjoy him. And I know that you will. And you, he, he's got some great history that, to talk about. So please don't hesitate coming out and, and, and spending some time with him at the races. No, not right before his moto, but <laughs> after a moto or, you know, when he's walking around in the pits, don't hesitate to, to stop and talk to him. I, I know you're always available for the people. I love talking off-roading and especially three-wheelers. It's all, all fun to me. That's awesome. We also have Jeff Henson here, and I'll let you introduce yourself and what exactly you do. Hi, I'm uh, Jeff Henson. I am the executive editor of ATV Rider Magazine, and uh, I'm a good friend of these two guys. We all raced together you know, some 20 years ago. <laughs> I'm and, not that old. Why are you going <laughs> to lie like that? We know differently. <laughs> oh, we got some great stories about Lenny and his racing days, too, if anybody wants to hear them. But yeah, nice, thanks. I'm here because, uh, well, Dave and I are, are good friends. And for me, in an industry that is very short on brand new uh, sport ATV content, we have a ton of stuff here uh, that we can cover. And our readers dig this stuff. So getting Dave to come on as a contributing editor to ATV Rider with some of the stuff was just a no-brainer. And we're really happy to have them as part of our magazine well that's incredible let's let's delve into a couple pieces that you have here i noticed in this room you have some super clean trx 250rs give us a little bit of insight about a couple of the machines in this room yeah the whole goal of this room when i built it was to have pristine examples of the old 80s honda stuff um, the four tracks is one of my favorite bikes. I bought one brand new as a kid in 86. Um, I told my Honda dealership, I, I think I was the first one to put hundred dollars down on one. And I said, I want one as soon as they come in. I told them I wanted a blue and white one. Well, they called me up. Hey Dave, come down. We got your bike. I come in there. They got a couple red, red and white ones. I'm like, Nope, I don't want that. I want a blue one. Took about a week. Finally, I got my blue one in. So <laughs> those are really probably one of my favorite quads ever is, is, is the 86 blue and white, uh, four tracks. Um, but these, I just, you know, as I find a pristine example out there, I, I just buy it and, and, and try and save it. You know, I mean, I have plenty of bikes that I ride, you know, some guy give me a hard time that I don't ride all these, but I'm, I'm preserving them. I mean, could be some 20 year old kid out just trashing it and, and ruin it. You know, I want, I want to save some of this history. And that's, that's, what's so special about this place. The machines that you have here are some of them need some work yep. and, and you are working on restoring them. My goal is to restore everything on the other, in the other building back to the way it was in its glory days. Well, I, I, I'm going to change this around and bounce around. So I, I apologize. 
you have a Doug Roll three-wheeler. How did you come about getting <laughs> that? And yes, I did send a photo to Doug Roll. Yeah, uh, I talked to Doug Roll at, at one of the races about it and showed him pictures of it. Uh, I just got lucky on that one. Um, a friend of mine actually acquired a few three-wheelers and he was selling them. And I was going to buy them all, trying to do a package deal. And we went back and forth, back and forth. And at the time, I didn't know that was Doug's bike. I had no idea. And so finally, I get out to California on vacation with the family and, and we stop by and see my friend. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to buy the 250R. And I looked at it. And I knew it had some cool parts. I knew about CNJ. Not too many people knew about CNJ. I, they were the first A-arms I ever bought and put on my 88 Fortrax back in the day. So I knew the company. I thought it was a cool bike. So I bought it. Well, the kid hands me the California pink slip. Guess whose name's on it still? Doug Roll. Doug Roll. Signed by Doug Roll. Signed off when he sold it. Um, I just, I, I didn't say anything, you know, I just loaded <laughs> up and got out of there, you know, basically, <laughs> but as I got home, you know, I knew CNJ, it was a CNJ swing arm. Um, I didn't know how many they made. I asked Doug at the race. I'm like, you know, what about the swing arm? He's like, yeah, I was like 18, 19 when I made it. And I go, how many are there? He goes one. So he built that whole bike. He bought the bike new. He built it. Um, it's got a Ram industries in the head tube steering stabilizer. Wow. which is super, I didn't even know they made in the head tube ones. I mean, back in the day, I ran the regular ones, you know, look like an old Volkswagen, you know, shock absorber, but um, had no idea. So we had that on there. Um, obviously he did a lot of little things, uh, added foot peg extensions to it. Uh, just a lot of little cool things that you could tell that Doug did. That skid plate's cool. Man. Yeah. Oh, the skid plate is insane. D Dave, uh, for you, when you see a three-wheeler like that, what does it do for you as a, as a three-wheeler racer as of today? Do you pick up some tips for your machines looking at some of the old school stuff or, or is everything you're doing all modern? You know, there's so many things that were just lost art forms for three-wheelers that were, in this case, one-off stuff. I mean, uh, Doug, we all know he's a legend in the industry and built probably some of the if not the best quad ever made, but here's a three-wheeler that he had his hands all over and did some super, super unique stuff. And that, uh, that steering adapter is really cool. And I would love to have something like that on all my modern stuff today. I mean, the fact that that is even a, a possibility is exciting to me. And if someone could come up with something like that for, you know, the modern stuff, that would be really, really, really cool. That's incredible. I didn't know about it. I'm going to have to go and photo it to make sure that we get it out there. You know, because I'm really close friends with Randy, the owner of GPR Steering Stabilizer. And we have talked numerous times about building an underbar dampener for a three-wheeler. One of our biggest skeptics is uh, the things that hold us back is we have to build an upper triple climb. Right. Yeah, I mean... There's little things like that that, you know, makes you kind of think like, hey, wait a minute, you know, the big giant monster thing that we're all used to seeing on dirt bikes for a steering stabilizer, it maybe doesn't have to necessarily be that to get the job done. Here he's got it all built in, integrated into the head tube. And what a cool idea. Again, the guy was an innovator and way, way, way ahead of his time and still building amazing things that are breaking today. Yeah, it, it, I mean, Doug Roll is probably one of the best innovators in our industry. And I think that he's highly underrated for, sure. uh, for his talents. Uh, and, and plus he's not a people guy. He's not out there promoting himself. He's not out talking to himself. He's not blowing himself up. Um, so when you do get to meet him, he wants to uh, be 
really behind the scenes and and let other people talk about his stuff. I don't know if you've had many interactions with him. Yeah, you know that he's he's a super humble man, and uh, just when you get to break that ice, so to speak, and get him talking about uh, the old days, you know, he was he was an avid three wheeler racer back in the day and knows everything about the history. He's lived that history, and uh, what what a knowledge of of amazing stuff when as far as racing history goes and still um building the best stuff today he's working heavily with elka as you know and um developing some really really cool suspension for both modern three-wheelers as well as vintage three-wheelers so that'll be coming out real soon i'm blessed enough to be testing some of it now and it's really really cool stuff i heard a rumor that he was actually had one of the uh new three-wheelers with one of the four-stroke models and he was building a rear shock for it yeah, in the last race, we uh, had the TPC out there, and he actually built the shock for that and redid it and revalved it, and it, uh, it was still the first go-around on testing, but it probably felt better than any shock I've ever ran on that bike yet, and he wasn't happy with it until he gets it 100% correct, and when it gets right, it's going to be really exciting. Do you think he's going to get in with, involved in any of the forks at all? I mean, I know that's not his forte, but, dude, the guy's a genius, so I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, taking apart a set of forks and uh, redoing them is not out of the question and not out of his comfort zone at all. And the three-wheeler is just so unique. It's it's not a dirt bike. It's not a quad. It's kind of this in-between thing. And has, as a fellow three-wheeler racer back in the day, he, he understands that. And there's not many suspension builders today that completely comprehend how the front and the rear of a three-wheeler work in sync together to get that happy uh, outcome we're all looking for. So I think that uh, what Doug's working on and, and what we're going to be putting out there real soon is going to be super, super exciting. That's awesome to hear. Jeff, uh, I don't know how much you guys do um, as far as publications with presenting some of these new things that are coming for the three-wheeler industry. Is it still taboo? Uh no, I actually it's it's what everybody wants to to, to see right now the, the, the three wheeler stuff the vintage stuff like we get more uh, hits and and interactions online with this stuff than, than anything else so we have to come back to it and I'm thankful that we have it you know, do do the people that you deal with that 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 own the magazine are they hesitant about doing anything three wheeler based No, absolutely not. I, I mean, and it's great to see it coming back in. But uh, the the vintage stuff, they're the people that I work with. They they want to see the interaction and the hits online. This stuff brings it more than anything, especially the three wheeler. I did a story on Dave and some of the other guys, Tommy. That you know, the Wild Bunch was the name of the article, and we just got tremendous feedback on that. And and it's good for us, and it's good for everybody else. And I'm glad to see three-wheeler racing coming back to a lot of the racer organizations like Works, Best in the Desert. Uh, I'm not sure if Score is doing anything with him yet, but they're missing out <laughs> if they're not. So, so it, it, it's amazing. In fact, you know, with all of the custom three-wheeler builders, you can there's more options out there right now for a brand new three-wheeler than there are actual brand new ATVs. Wow, that's incredible. I never thought about it that way. I did. I haven't met the BBC guys, but I got to meet uh, Bill. Bill, and we are going to talk further with him and, and get into some of the things that he does. And he started as a hobby. He never intended it to be a business. 
He had no idea that it was going to take off the way it is. Have you got to spend any time with any of the, the modern-day three-wheeler stuff? Um, as far as having a bike or, or the builders? Both. Yeah, I, I do have a I do have a modern conversion bike. I have a 450X Honda um, that I've raced the last few races. Um, lots of things I like about it. There's still a few things I think they need to work on. Um, but I've talked to both the builders. Um, BBC's now in Tucson. I went there right after they opened their new facility down there. So... How open are they to changing some of their methods? Um, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm going to talk to them about it. Um, you know, I, I think they, they seem to be wide open about a lot of stuff. I mean, as far as the bikes, they've done just about everything. I think they're doing a beta right now. I'm not sure if they've done a gas gas or not. Um, they've done Husqvarna's. They've done Hondas. Um, they haven't did electric one. I mean, they'll seems like they'll build just about anything. So I don't see that they'd be opposed to maybe looking at some of the more the three-wheeler stuff or listening to some of us that, that actually race them to maybe get some ideas to change, make a little few changes. Do you think that the three-wheeler market can sustain itself and it's going to come back maybe into the form of the old, the old times? I don't know if it'd ever be the same where, you know, Honda is selling, you know, a couple million three-wheelers a year. I don't think it'd ever be like that, but I think there's enough guys now that, you know, rode three wheelers back then and, and kind of forgot about them. And now they see there's a resurgence and they have the money now. So they'll go out and buy. I mean, you know, a modern bike is not cheap. Um, but I know there's guys out there that are buying a brand new $11,000 KTM dirt bike and then spending another 10 to convert it. And I mean, 20,000, they have no problem because that's what they want. They want a brand new three wheeler. Well, why would they buy a KTM? <laughs> well, those 300 motors are pretty nice. Well, yeah, I haven't got to, ri I haven't got to ride that bike. And, and I've said it on the show a thousand times. I have a buddy that has one. I'm going to make some time. I'm going to go ride that 300. Because if it's everything they say it is, that would be the ultimate two-stroke three-wheeler. Absolutely. We saw one at the last race. Um, Dave and I, there, were, there was a guy up there from Nevada that was at the Prim Works race. And he had a 450 and a 300. He raced the 450, but we were really eyeing the 300. Um We've heard nothing but good things about the motors. Um, to me, it looked like it was set up a little bit better. It had a no-link rear end on it, which I'd love to try in a three-wheeler. Um, just I really, really wanted to ride that bike. Well, are the no-link systems for the three-wheelers like they are in the four-wheeler? Because the larger you are, the less likely that it's going to work as good on an ATV, on a, on a four-wheeler. Right. Um, I've liked no links on my quads in the past. I've never ridden, ridden a no link three wheeler, so I don't, I don't know. I want to try it. Well, we got Doug Roll involved, so I guess that that's going to lead us into a direction that we never thought we would go. I want to talk a little bit about some of the product that I've seen here. I don't mean to change it up, but we're having such a great talk about three wheelers, but this isn't the only reason why we're here. Um, you have some vintage swing arms that people are dying for from the Paul Turner to take it away. Yeah. I, I kind of have a little bit of a swing arm fetish. Um, <laughs> I, I started out probably, I don't know, maybe five years ago, wanting West Coast swing arms. I was able to acquire five, six, seven West Coast swing arms for the different bikes, 250R, 350X, 200X. And then I discovered, or not discovered because I knew about them back in the day, but Calfabs, so you know, aluminum, a little bit cooler looking. So then I started getting into Calfabs. I got Calfabs for 250Rs, 350Xs, Takatis, both generation Takatis. Um, I got a few of the old um, that were actually Team Honda used Calfab swing arms. And then I was lucky enough to get my first Paul Turner swing arm. 
And I think I have about six of them now. Do you know how many were made originally? Have any idea? I don't. I've heard different stories. Um, originally, I was told that they were only made for Team Honda. But I saw some old Paul Turner ads where they actually advertised that they sold the swing arms. Um, I don't know. Educated guess, maybe 50. Wow, that's so. So they're worth their weight in gold because you know you might find something in a junkyard somewhere that somebody has thrown this three wheeler away that has one of these swing arms or some of these parts on there. Absolutely, and you, and you just can't find them anymore. Yeah, the the, the short course tank. I know we had a little talk about it earlier, Dave, but the short course tank, those are like almost non-existent. You can't even find them anymore, can you? They're very few and far between. I'd say maybe one or two pop up a year on eBay. Um, as far as getting the whole kit, even harder. Um, believe it or not, there are still some NOS kits floating around out there. Um, I've got one NOS kit still. Um, they're going for ridiculous money. I mean, if you can even find one, they're, they're ridiculous. That's incredible that that stuff is still so valuable, but it's only valuable to the people that know what it is, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, here's the thing is, is you have the old school guys that have been around forever that, that knew what it was back then. And now if they, if they can find one and afford one, they're going to buy one. But with three wheeler racing really coming back, you have this whole new group that you have kids that weren't even born then that are starting to race three wheelers. And they're like, oh, short course kid. Oh, you can turn more. Um, so they're wanting them too. So they're kind of piecing together, you know, if they, they might find a tank one day on eBay and then, you know, find another piece of the kit and, you know, eventually kind of put it together. But, you know, so it's, it's the new guys and the old guys are actually looking for them. Well, that brings me full circle to what caused ATV talk to come about. Nobody's telling the history, right? I mean, there's no history. You can't go anywhere and find a platform where a magazine's telling the history or, any type of publication, whether it be podcast or videos or anything like that, it's giving good history. That's one of the things that we want to do here is tell the story. So it looks like you and I are going to become even better friends because there's some history that needs to be told about specific products and setups for some of the early three-wheelers and some of the four-wheelers. I was looking at your 185Ss out there. Yep. And the triple clamp that's out there that's steel i mean dude i've been around since time began and and i had never seen a steel set i had only ever seen it in aluminum right that's high performance um atv or atc back in the day um they made conversion kits front-end conversion kits they made i think they made they made full suspension kits uh, maybe even frames back in the day unbelievable the 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 things that when you're even the when you grew up in the industry, sorry, I can't talk. When you grew up in the industry and you can't know everything because there's just so many products that were developed at this specific time. Do you remember the, the reservoir guards that they made? Yeah, I have a West Coast one. Isn't that amazing? You don't see anything like that developed in our industry today, but they had reservoir guards yep. You know that went on the handlebars and everybody had to have one. I saw an entire box inside there that you got. About a hundred of them. Yeah. 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 Dude, dude, why aren't you cleaning these things up and selling them? I am. It's just a matter of time. I mean, I just, I collect the stuff as I get it. Um, Eventually, you know, some of it will be for sale. Some, I have so many projects in mind for old school race bikes that I want to complete. So 
you know, I want to have the, the pieces and the parts as I build the bike that I can, I can put everything together. And, you know, it, it's kind of like today, um, you're right. The ATC, ATV stuff is, is very limited on who's making products for it. Side-by stuff, there's hundreds of companies that are making aftermarket side-by-side parts, right? So go back to the 80s. It was that way with the ATC stuff. So there was literally hundreds of manufacturers that made these aftermarket parts. And I feel like I'm still discovering like, oh, I didn't know these guys made that or I'll I'll buy a bike and it have this part on there. And it's like, oh, that's so cool. I've never seen that before. So it's cool that we can still at our age and been doing this our whole lives, learn and find out that there's still stuff from back in the day and then maybe even duplicate it today. That exhaust on that 200X that you in the other room, you bought that whole bike. For that specific exhaust, I'd never heard of that company either. Absolutely, I'll, I'll do. If I see a part that I've never seen before that I have to have, I'll buy the entire bike just for that part. That's incredible. I noticed when we were walking in, we did a video, and I think you were standing there watching it when I seen that 200x, that first one. That's the first thriller that I ever raced. I think it's the greatest of all of them. You know, that 83 to 85 model 200X, they handled so good. The motor packages were incredible. I am biased because my dad was was the motor builder and built that was one of the things that he built a lot of his reputation on was that 200X. Granted, he built the 90 and the 110 motors and the 185S motors, but that 200X motor in the Southern California area, if you had a 200X, you had a Danny Duncan built. 200x right i mean so seeing that brought back a lot of memories and and valeria she took some pictures of it and she's looking at this old rusty thriller like you, you really like this thing well yeah i loved it i mean it's, they handle and they ride so good right. and it brings back a lot of memories for you i mean i think back when when three-wheeler racing was big there was probably more racing 200x's than, than anything i mean my, my bet would be there there's far more than the 250r's i mean maybe not as popular and there is as getting the magazine coverage but there was you go to the race there was 50 60 of them out there well they were so easy to ride and when it's easy to ride it, that's what's going to bring the people L- let's let's bring this into a different portion of the conversation i guess we're stuck on three wheelers here <laughs> when you roll in the two stroke versus the four stroke the four stroke three wheelers of today have to be so much easier to ride than a 250r of yesteryear i mean just for the sheer power delivery yeah, I'll let Dave talk on that because he he actually still rides both of them kind of back and forth. Um, I mean, I do too, but he's been racing both of them for the last year. So, I got to share one other thing just because we're this is all about ATC addiction and in my cell phone. Look at what I have Dave's name under there. Yeah, I just got to share that with you. If you look there, it doesn't say Dave Wiley. Um, <laughs> this is a hoarder, hoarder day. <laughs> <laughs> He's got more parts than anybody. It's uh, it's, uh, it's funny like, that that's the case. It's uh, hoarder Dave in my cell phone. That's so <laughs> incredible. And and you know, there's so many cool ATVs and trinkets here that I promised Valeria that I would not bury myself in all of this. So. We will we will keep our day short because we it is a family weekend. It's Thanksgiving weekend, and you guys were gracious enough to give up some of your time with your families. Um, let's get back into that conversation about the two stroke, four stroke, the two fifty R of yesteryear, eighty five, eighty six, and then the modern day four stroke, three wheeler. Um, the power delivery's got to be incredible on that four stroke. You know, it's a it, it's a lot as we all know with the four stroke. 
evolution that's taken place in the last 15 years is pretty impressive um, just by motors alone. It's such a smooth power delivery, but yet that peak power is, you know, everything that the 250R was as well. So, uh, you know, I'm a two-stroke guy. I still have a soft spot for that that abrupt hit of that power band. It still probably makes me smile more than anything. But when you're coming to some of the races that we're, we're doing these days that are, you know, an hour long or longer in some cases, that four-stroke delivery is uh, it's handleable. You, you can manage that bike for an hour at, at a at a high level where that two-stroke uh, hard abrupt power hit that they're known for it's tough to handle for for a long period of time okay let me ask you this have you had the two stroke and the four stroke out in the dunes riding both of them i have um you know it, again if i'm going to be on the dunes and it's going to be a short fast aggressive smiling run i'll probably pick my two stroke but for that long dune ride that you're out there for hours with your friends just going all day long uh, that four stroke just has that spot. So I have a soft spot for both of them, um, but there is a difference and uh, they both have, have their places. So those that love two strokes, I understand it 100%. The, the fact that people are building more and more of these modern 450s, I understand that too. It's it's uh, something that I'm, I'm welcoming and have one myself. And uh, I see that being something that's going to happen more and more in the future. Do you think that the one of the reasons the three-wheelers are coming back in so much glory is because of that four-stroke delivery that it makes them easier to ride? Yeah, they're, they're not, I mean, we're talking 450s, but there's companies building 250 versions of those and, and two-stroke versions of those. You know, they're definitely easier to ride. Even the brand new, we were just talking about the 300, it, it's an easier motor to ride than, you know, the old 250s of yesteryear. It uh, has a power valve. It's a smoother delivery. And, uh, you know, all the modern stuff, you can still get parts for it real easy. You don't have to go on eBay. You don't have to get in touch with Dave and break his arms <laughs> and try to get him to something up to you. Um, so, yeah, I, I see more and more and more modern machines being produced in the future. I really see that happening. That's incredible. I know that uh, we talked about Doug Roll. And you have a, a Mike Cobanchi over there. Uh, it's a modern version of a Mike Cobanchi. But you have uh, this gentleman may not be know, as known. Uh, he raced for Kawasaki. His name's Steve Mendenhall. Um, I was a fan watching him as a young man uh, because he was so talented. Um, you have what you believe is a possibly a de sleeved. 200 uh, Kawasaki three-wheeler over there. Yeah, it's 100% uh, Steve, one of Steve's old uh, race bikes. Um, I was lucky enough to get that. Uh, a friend called me and said, hey, I saw this bike listed. I called the guy right away, made a deal with him, and um, and it came out of North Carolina. So I got it shipped here, and it was it was real crazy timing because I, I know Jimmy White. He lives here in town, and as soon as I got the bike, I, I knew it was an old team bike, and, and I sent him some pictures, and He's like, oh, yeah, that's Steve's old bike. I'm like, oh, cool. You know, that's great. And he's like, hey, I'll tell you what. Uh, he's going to be out here this weekend. We're going on a side-by-side -side ride. You guys want to go? And so I, I went. I took my side-by-side -side that I had the time. Uh, Dave went. It was a great day. We had we had a really fun time. But uh, uh, Steve was there, and I got to meet him. Never met him before. Um, super nice guy. Um, you, you know, talking to him and, and showing him pictures of the bike. He's like, yep, that's one of my old bikes. And, you know, just when we look at the, the the bike, the pipe looks smaller than your typical 250 pipe. And so I asked him, I'm like, is there a possibility that could be a 200? He's like, yeah. He goes, we, we had a few of those. Not many. I mean, he said like two or three. 
uh, 200. So I, I need to really tear it down and, and measure it and, and, and check it out. But regardless, if it's 200 or 250, I mean, just another piece of history, a, a Team Kawasaki race bike. Um, it's a little bit rough the way it sits. It runs. It's all there. Um, I, I'm going to restore it. I'm going to get some pictures from Steve and, and try and make it the way it was back when he raced it. That's so incredible. I have the utmost respect for some of those guys. Uh, I got to watch Marty Hart race against them guys. Um, a little bit of Mike Co, um, Steve, Jimmy White, you know, and, and speaking of Jimmy White, the guy hasn't changed a bit in all these years. You know, he, he's just the same aggressive, brash guy that he always was. Yeah. No, Jimmy's a great guy. I was so lucky to meet him. And, uh, you know, I appreciate all those guys. You know, I was racing back in the day. I was, you know, I, I held my own. I was, I was plenty fast back then, but these guys are my heroes. You know, I, I saw them in the magazines and, you know, I was in Arizona, you know, most of them are in California from wherever, but I mean, these guys are my heroes. And now at, at this point when I'm really into restoring and bringing this stuff back to meet these guys and hear the stories, I mean, you know, Jimmy and Mike are, are two of the, the nicest guys that you'll ever meet. And, and just, they're they're willing to share the, the history and the stories. I mean, like we're trying to do and bring back. I mean, they're they're willing to talk about it. And so they're educating me, um, me on things I didn't know, you know, that I've only seen. So it, it's really cool. It is. I enjoy speaking to both of them. And they've both given me so much of their time. Uh, Mike lives not too far from us. And I, I spoke to you guys earlier before we sat down to tape the show that um, – there's going to be a history show with my dad. This will air after that. So this information is probably not, not what people really want to hear, but Mike really stirs my dad. He starts talking about some of the history with some of the machine shops that, that they dealt with and some of the things that they did back in, in the seventies and eighties. Cause Mike's actually been around longer than you think. He's not as old as, as you would want to be or as you would think he is, but he was delved into some of this stuff early, early. You know, they were building uh, the, uh, I think it was the uh, 350 version Honda motorcycles, him and his brother, Sam, you know, back before it was cool to do that. So he had a couple different versions of that. And my dad and him were talking about the guys that built cranks back in San Diego so there's so much history that we don't know about back then that is incredible. Absolutely. And, and it is, I mean, I'm just happy that these guys remember all that and they can share it with us. Yeah. The, the, the fact that Mike is as clear about knowing the names, the streets that these businesses were on. Yeah, everything. And then, Amazing he, memory. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, he talks about a salvage yard that I don't even remember. Because it was probably gone before I was mid-teen. And, and he's not that far in front of me. He's only uh, five years in front of me. So th there really wasn't that much. Jeff, what portion of this comes full circle for you? Uh, <clears throat> for me, I, I didn't get into to ATVs until about 1990. I was on motorcycles before that. So one of the interesting things meeting these guys is and meeting other guys that grew up riding three wheelers. And I'll admit, I don't quite understand it yet. <laughs> these guys are very intense and extremely passionate about the machines. Guys like Dave will tell you that he prefers three wheels over an ATV, even though Dave has raced four wheelers uh, for quite some time, as long as I've known him. Um, and then I also say the history is fascinating to me. 
and there is a ton of history in this room over here that uh, you bring up. Uh, he's got a almost. I would say ninety percent of people would walk in there and say, "What a bunch of junk," yeah. <laughs> you know. But it's not. There's there's a whole wall of tires, and I'll let Dave tell you more about this. You know that we're Honda and Kawasaki back in the three wheeler days. Mm -hmm. You know they they got in these wars and gotten some big arguments over tire use at the races. And they fill them in on that. Oh, and one other thing that I would, well, no, I'll go ahead and just let them know about that. Well, what I was trying to do is, is Jeff, you've been sitting over here so patiently and, 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 and respectfully about this is beings that you are um, the true form of the media person in, in the room. I mean, I'm breaking into new grounds in a, in a podcast, but I don't understand how it is for uh, a media person such as yourself to connect with all of the different things that you have to, because you have to do UTV, three-wheeler, four-wheeler, racing, recreational. So you're getting it from a totally different dimension. We'll get into the tire thing in a second, but I was just trying to get your relation to it. And have they had you out on a three-wheeler yet? No. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying. <laughs> no. And yeah, I will. I can barely ride a four-wheeler anymore. It seems like I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting my body fixed as we speak so I can get out there and race with these guys. Again, we all, you and Dave and, and, and you know, Dave is, you know, you, you act like you're a humble guy, but everybody that owns a three-wheeler and was back in those days knows who this guy is, you know, and you're lucky that today you caught him with a shirt on. Cause this is <laughs> have a shirt. If you, if you want to meet him at the races, look for the guy, the tall guy with no shirt. With the muscles. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, no, it's I come here and I'm learning stuff. I, yeah, I'm a media guy. I'm not an expert on everything. That's why I come to people like Dave. And there's a huge history lesson here you know, to, to learn about these parks and, and things. And it's amazing how much has come up in value today because of the lack of sport ATVs. I, I would think that's a big part of it. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of drawbacks to COVID, but one of the big benefits from it is the resurgence that the people have done in our industry for learning some of the history of ATCs, buying more product for ATCs, and 250Rs, uh, all of your ATV industry has, has grown because of the lack of ability to go to work, you know, or that you're not interacting with people in an office setting. You're allowed to take your motor home and your trailer out to places to go ride, which is incredible. I think that it's going to stay like that. I believe that we're going to have less and less interaction in the office building and more interaction out in the environment. I think I think COVID actually did have a huge part to do with that. Uh, that's why I'm back in the industry, actually, because uh, if, if you talk to any of the manufacturers, let's just go with the sport quads, which is just Yamaha right now. Everything that they can produce out there in Georgia is already sold before it's even completely built and shipped away from the factory there. So, and we brought this up a couple of times, our sport quad is going to come back. I just don't see any reason why some of the other manufacturers wouldn't go back to producing a new, a new 450 when Yamaha is, Killing. you know, got the, yeah, just they're crushing it. You know, they're not, these are not 2021s or 2020s that are being rebadged as 2022s. These are new machines that are coming off the, the uh, assembly floor out, out there every day. Well, what I thought was cool in 2020 uh, beings the YFZ450R and the we were building some and developing some Raptor 700 product. 
we couldn't get machines. You just couldn't, you couldn't go to your local Yamaha dealer and buy one. They were waiting for a shipment to come in. And usually there were everything they were waiting for was already sold. And you go to uh, Motorworld, you know, they're, they're kind of a famous company in El Cajon. You couldn't even buy a UTV. Now, let me add to that. Uh, today, as a media guy, we, in the past, we used to be able to, you know, have these machines shipped directly to our place, you know, for product reviews and, and ATV re- reviews. It's very difficult for all of the different media outlets to even get press machines right now. And when we do get it, they don't really care about us that much right now because everything that they are producing, and it's not just UTVs, it's ATVs too. It's it's selling. They they have they can't they don't have anything to give us. And when I do have to get a machine, I actually have to drive from here in Phoenix out to California to pick those up. Our guys at UTV Driver in Tennessee have to drive down to Georgia to pick them up because they're just they're too busy to, to take care of the media. They don't need us right now, and. Uh, uh, which we'll be there to you know pick it up when when they do, but it's a struggle for us in the media who are trying to give these guys free advertising to actually get a machine to write about. Well, yeah, I can attest to that. There's there's no reason to for sponsors to sponsor outlets because they can't keep up with the demand in parts sales. They can't keep up with the demand of people walking through their door and just. You know, I have people lay cash on the counter. I will buy whatever you have. And I have to look at them and say, put that away because I don't have anything to sell you. Wow. I mean, I don't even have, any, I don't even have anything used, unreconditioned to sell you. I just, everything's gone. There's certain items that we have hanging on the shelf because my brother is a hoarder. Um, so, uh, and, and it's specific product that they've built that, you know, the, the first dimensions of a, of a Paul Turner mid-range pipe. The very first ones, you know, how they made them, how they came up with them. We have those pipes and we won't we won't let let them go. We have some handmade pipes made by the true artist in the industry. I mean, you see some of the beautiful exhaust that they're making today. And those guys, they're beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But these are guys that hand were the inventors of the handmade pipe and how to put these cone pipes together. And they're just incredible craftsmanship. So we have some of that stuff that, that my brother won't sell, which I would sell it in a heartbeat because, <laughs> you know, that's sell my job. <laughs> I mean, I, it's my job to sell, you know, it, move it, move the product, move the product, move the product. That's, that's what you do. Um, and I understand why he doesn't want to sell it. I mean, we have a valve pipe. Who ever heard of a valve pipe? Nobody. We tested a valve pipe, you know, so that you could change the power with a lever on your handlebar. Wow. Um, the, the concept worked worked when it was new but as the valve got carbon it didn't work as well so there's things like that and yeah my brother's probably going to shoot me for talking about it but hey whatever uh i got to see a ton of things developed that i didn't even understand at the time that brings this full circle into the tire war between kawasaki and honda I didn't get to see the test done, but my brother was there and told me stories about this, just having box fans full of carcass that was ungrouped, raw, which you could you would consider a, a slick, and they would groove them to a specific pattern for the rider. Uh, Otsu was the company that did it for Honda. I don't know who did it for Kawasaki. Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, Kawasaki always ran Hoosiers, um, and you know, I, I'm I'm not an expert on this. Just from what I've heard over the years, 
is back in the ATC racing days, there was a big battle that the tire that you ran at the races was supposed to be a tire that the public could buy. And Kawasaki was running the Hoosiers and yeah, they might've grooved them or did something different to them, but it was a tire that you could buy off the shelf. And the, the team Honda guys and the O2 guys, um, you know, they were developing all kinds of tires. They were making tires that were, you know, similar, um, you know, but like you said, the, there'd be a Japanese guy sitting there on the side of the box van, just grooving out a tire that they'd go and try. And, and then uh, if they didn't like it, they toss that one and make another one. And, you know, I didn't know about these tires until probably a few years ago. And, and I've been lucky enough to acquire a few. And, and there's some really, really cool stuff that, that they made, these, these hand groove Otsus. Well, Otsu made low profile 20 inch front tires that were the best working front tire for the for the four wheelers. Oh, yeah. And you couldn't get them. Right. You, you couldn't get them. Well, Honda, you, I mean, you couldn't buy them. Well, here's the thing. I have ads from magazines and from whatever from back in the day where honda showed all their otus and they showed these tires well guess what i don't know anybody that could ever walk into honda and buy them i think that's part of this whole war is they put them on their ads and oh yeah we sell them sure anybody can buy these and we're running them on race bikes but i don't think you could walk in the store and buy them no because at the time when uh, lauren was working with Honda as a satellite deal back when Honda was disbanding the race team, you couldn't buy those tires. You could only get them if you were the satellite rider. And Marty Hart, for a short period of time, was the only guy. And that's the only way you could get those tires. Right. When I bought my first 87 TRX250R, I bought it from Lauren, which it came from Honda, okay, as one of the race bikes. Right. And it had hand groove tires on it. Cool. Yeah. Unbelievable, right? Yeah, yeah. Like an idiot. <laughs> uh, I I don't know. I, I sold the machine back to Lauren with those same tires on there. I don't think I ever used them much. I went to the old the turf tamer at that time right. was 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 coming uh into its own. And I ran those fronts because you couldn't buy them and people were just pissed because I had these cool front tires and and you couldn't buy that. Right. You know? So I got to benefit by a little bit of this product and I didn't even realize how cool it was. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's just, it's just unbelievable. You know, you don't see any factory involvement, even on the motorcycle side nowadays where they do things like this. Right. You know, they don't, they don't develop product. Plus they don't develop product in front of anybody. No. You know? Yeah. You don't see anybody sitting at the races today, grooving a tire, you know? No, you don't see the, the the different compounds. You see some of that stuff. I think tire technology in its all in in all in all forms of racing has developed to a point that it brings a whole new dimension to the way the machines handle. Because you know, you think about a tractor turf tamer. That was a horrible tire. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just flat horrible. Right. But we would groove them, and they would do other things to soften them. Uh, you know, probably most people don't want to talk about that. You put them in a bag with chemicals, and the rubber would get softer, and then you could make them work better. You know, Shane Hitt was an expert at making his TT bikes work because he would do things with the rubbers and develop, and he'll never admit to some of it. But you know what was done. Top secret. Oh, well, <laughs> we, we get to see this stuff. You know, the sprint car guys in the TT world yeah. de helped develop the ATV uh, industry in TT. You know, I don't know how much rollover there was in the three-wheeler world, but in the four-wheeler world, it was huge. So um, is there any items in here that 
specifically that you would want to point out to the world that that are something that is that is a that is a, such a standout that is near and dear to your heart that you may never want to sell but you want people to know is here as far as a bike or a part a bike or a part well we we kind of looked at and discussed the the trx 200x that's uh you know one of the real rare bikes that i'm interested in the 200x the, the trx 200x okay Okay, we just talked about that, yeah. and you and I had forgotten all about that. I'm sorry, I was a little distracted trying to get some information on the outside. Um, the Argentinian 200X Quad. I posted a picture of it on the uh, ATV Group Facebook page. You got to go check this thing out. It's an original equipment 200X three-wheeler made into a four-wheeler in the factory in Mexico unbelievable if you have one of these machines in the united states you need to get a hold of dave because he's probably going to want to buy it from you (laughs) (laughs) or if you have an outlet in south america that can get us one or another one Uh, i know of more than one person that would want one just to have it just because it's such a rarity yeah exactly i've known about them for years um you know a lot of people i tell about them even people that have been doing this their their whole lives i mean i mean did you know about it before never seen one that's what i'm saying most people never even didn't even know it existed and i've known for a few years it existed and and have really wanted one and, and was finally lucky enough to get one and just so cool how this machine that was made in japan as a three wheeler got shipped to the u.s they banned three wheelers. And so, you know, Honda had to do something. They cut up the 250Rs, they cut up the 350Xs. And I don't know why they didn't cut up the 200Xs, but they had this idea. Let's take all the 86, 87, 200Xs, ship them down to our plant in Mexico. And I think they sat there for a couple of years and they're like, hey, you know what? Let's turn this into a quad and, and sell it. So they adapted, a, everything is Honda on it. So they adapted a Honda front end. They made a front fender for it. They turned it into a quad and they sold it in South America. I'm not sure why they couldn't sell in the U.S. Maybe something with the date of the engine and the manufacturing of the three-wheelers. I, I really don't know. But. They weren't allowed to sell again until 99. That's when. The, that's why the that's a three-wheeler, yeah. But for the four-wheeler, they weren't allowed to sell a sport ATV. Um, if you go back and learn a little bit about the lawsuit, which I'm not the guy to tell you all about it. I just know that 99 is the reason why the 99 400EX came out. Gotcha. Just because that's when they were they took the handcuffs right. out. So, so something to do with that, obviously, is why they didn't sell them here. But you know, that they, they made them and then they shipped them down to South America and sold them there. I mean, just super cool. Why would they have not have done that with the 350X? Think of how cool that machine oh, yeah. would have been. Exactly. You know, yeah. a, a big, big monster four stroke like yeah. that in an, in an ATV. I mean, because it was an awesome ATV. I don't know why they weren't more popular because that was a fun bike to ride in the dunes. Yeah. I, I, I think 350Xs are more popular now than they were back in the day. I think because the four-stroke technology for most people in the recreational world, I don't know how it is to race one of them. Um, I uh, I had a 350X that a guy named Richard Bassas built here in town, um, and he modernized it the best he, he could do at that time, and it had inverted forks on it. He put 250R rear end on it. It was a one-off race 350X that I got lucky enough to get a hold of, and I raced that for a couple years, and in the longer races and, and loved it. In fact, I was able to win a lot of races on that 350X um, and, and it performed amazing. And like you said, why they destroyed a bunch of 350Xs and didn't do something with those, uh, they, they had a lot a lot of potential that wasn't uh, tapped into at all. And it's still definitely an underrated machine for sure. 
Well, did you guys know that Honda made a CR500 three-wheeler? Yeah, I, I knew that they, they had one um, pre-production. They were testing them. I know the Honda guys were testing them. And had, had this whole thing not get shut down, they, they would have been out probably in an 87 or, or 88 model. And, and you, you can't believe. Now, if you were going to ride a, a CR500 three-wheeler, oh, my goodness. That, 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 the CR500 motorcycle isn't crazy to ride. You put that in a three-wheeler. Dave, what do you think? I mean, yeah, that, that's a man's bike. I was never worthy of something like that. that that's crazy. <laughs> but the thing that's exciting, and I've talked to, uh, you know, the guys that actually had, you know, were sponsored by Honda back in that day when they were developing that machine and got a chance to ride it. They, uh, they all said that they did things to that machine that made it handle amazing. But the thing that's crazy is those guys weighed 150, 160 pounds back then. And how a guy 150 pounds can ride that machine with 70 plus horsepower and keep it under control just shows how much talent those guys actually have. That, that takes some serious talent to manhandle that machine. They had to have done something to the setup or the chassis in that to make that machine work. I mean, I don't know how much how into motorcycles you guys are, but it's like the TZ750 in the flat track days with Kenny Roberts riding that thing. It was a suicide machine, and that guy could ride it unbelievably good so they had to outlaw it because there was only one guy that could race it yeah i've been lucky because we're, we're developing some new stuff right now for three wheelers so i've been able to pick guys like mike co's brain on that 500 that we're talking about and honda actually did some things on that machine that were going to be in the next gen probably of all the machines because mike said that the the things that they did on that 500 they actually we're doing that to their 250s back then, moving the foot pegs, um, changing the rake even just a little bit and stuff. They were doing that at Team Honda to the 250s uh, that those team guys were racing. And had we had seen the 87 to 88 uh, three-wheelers, I'm thinking that they would have all had these changes to it. And according to Mike, best handling machine he's ever ridden. That's incredible. Did you know that Canada got an 87 ATC? 250R? It's a big debate. That's probably one of the biggest debates in the ATC world is the 87 250R. Um, my personal opinion is Honda had pre-production models. Um, I have brochures. I have Canadian brochures that have it pictured, the 350X and the 250R for 87. I honestly don't believe that one was ever sold to the public, even in Canada. No one's ever been able to produce a picture of one. Um, I do have friends that have parts from an 87 250R that somehow slipped out of Honda as far as parts, but I don't think a, a complete bike was ever sold. I have heard rumor of it that there was actual items sold in Canada. There again, rumors. Right, right. I don't, I, like I said, I've never got a hold of somebody. Hopefully this will, because we're in 87 countries and Canada is one of our bigger countries, Hopefully, they will be able to connect us to something like that. Um, 2011, Yamaha Banshee sold overseas. Yeah, no, they sold them um, overseas and in Australia, I think even 2012. Um, I know a lot of people here that would like to have one, and they're really tough to, to import them. Um, but yeah, they, they kept selling Banshees. Another un, a, a, a rarely known fact about ATCs is they made, in 1988, Big Red. And sold it overseas. There was a 1988, they called it a Super Red, it sold in Australia, 1988 Super Red three-wheeler. 
No way. Really? No way. I, never either. Yep. I never heard of that. Yep. Yep. I know a guy in the country that has two of them. There's probably a few other guys that have them too, but in the States? Yeah. In the States. Yep. Oh, I'd like to see a picture of that. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're really cool. That's un- unbelievable. Yeah. So as we develop our new three wheelers in, in the four wheelers and, and the things like that, um, do you think that we're going to unseat the four wheeler at any time with the three wheeler? I, 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 this is just again a guess. I bet you that the companies that are making the modern three wheelers have sold more of them in the last year than a sport quad. I don't yeah, know, I mean, did, did Jeff. You know how Yamaha. many? You know how many? Yamaha have? is just killing it with that yeah, four fifty, dude. What about in this country? How many have they sold? Yes, your guess is better than ours. Every one of them that they can produce. But how, do you have any idea on the numbers? What that number looks like. I <clears throat> every one that they can produce. <laughs> but, but, but like, but like he's saying, they're only producing so many, and they're they're selling them all. I mean, there there's definitely yeah. a market. If there were more made, more would sell. But I think that they're limited on how many they're making. I really don't know that number on on the ATV. But I know uh, it's I, public knowledge. So if we googled it, we could get that information. Um, the Yamaha. 450 and the Raptor 700 are still selling off the showroom floors yes. faster than they could put them there. And they're probably selling, I would say, twenty to 50000 a year. Do you think that many? I do. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, maybe not. But I'll tell you what, the, the guys that are making the, the three-wheelers, I'm sure they have are just lined up of, of guys wanting them. I mean, I'm sure they're they're kicking them out as fast as they can, and there's another guy right behind that to buy one. And and yeah, but you're only you're talking maybe maybe a hundred a year. I don't know. We guess we should talk to those guys too. Yeah. Because you're not able to produce them fast enough. You know, you can't, you just can't build enough. You just can't build enough product that fast. There's no robots building three wheelers yet. Yeah, There should be, there, <laughs> there should, there should be somebody making complete. I mean, cause they're, they're taking either a, a dirt bike or a quad modern and converting it. I mean, when's somebody going to step up and actually start making three wheelers? Well, um, I know someone that is. I I got rumors. I'm not going to go out there, but I believe we're going to have a, a a frame that's going to be produced that will could mate in several different engines, um, and possibly have some pretty exciting things coming our, our way real, real, real soon. Uh, is that who I think talk it is that we talked about? I had a conversation with. Is it the same person that... I'm done on the subject. <laughs> oh, come on now. You can't. Gentlemen. Such a tease. <laughs> I know. We're, we're going to get him back. We'll get him back, and we'll get that later on. Gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for allowing us to come into your home and allowing us to come into ATC Addiction and spend some time with you guys. Dave, thank you for coming and joining us. Jeff, thank you for joining in. I really appreciate this. And Dave, keep up the good work. And, and you have a, an amazing place here, and it's it's just fun for all. I hope one day that we'll see you with a public open museum to allow everybody to come in and see these amazing machines. That would be a goal, definitely. Everybody, I'm Leonard Duncan with ATV Talk, and thank you so much for spending your holiday with us, and I hope everybody had an amazing Thanksgiving, and thanks for joining us. Have a great day. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. 
screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.